Well, look, for those of you that are visiting, let, let me get you up to speed, okay? For the past 11 weeks, we've been looking at Revelation chapters 2 and 3, which contains seven different personal letters that Jesus wrote to seven different churches. These letters were much like progress reports. They were letters that were filled with praise and encouragement and hope, but they were also letters that were filled with warnings. Um, there were a lot of things that were going on in these churches that, that Jesus didn't like. So Jesus writes to these churches and he shares with them uh, a, a, a number of thoughts, if you will. And I want you to imagine for a moment that uh, maybe you're sitting in your living room of your home or your apartment and it's just you and Jesus. There's nobody else. You're in your living room sitting in your favorite chair and there's Jesus and maybe you have um, some coffee, maybe you got a little tea and it's just you and Jesus, no, nobody else. And you were to ask him this question. Jesus, I want you to tell me about the things that are most important to you. I want you to tell me about the, the things that are really on your heart. There, there, there's lots of chatter out there. Um, uh, this book is filled with lots of stuff, you know. What's the most important thing, Jesus? Jesus, I, I always talk when I'm with you. You know, I talk, 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 talk. I pray, pray, pray. I give you all my, my stuff. And today, I'm not doing that. Today, I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. And I just want you to talk. And I'm going to sit back and enjoy my coffee, enjoy my tea. And I just want you to tell me what's, what's most important. And I, and I got my yellow pad and I got my, my pen. I, I'm ready to go. I'm going to write down the, the things that you believe are the most important things. What do you think he'd say? Well, I think what Jesus wrote in Revelation 2 and 3 is probably the answer. I mean, these were uh, things that were, were important to Jesus, obviously. We've heard Jesus say things like this to the, to the first church. He said, be careful not to get so busy that you lose your first love for me. That's important. I think if you were sitting in a living room and there was Jesus, I think he'd tell you that. I think that that would be one of the most important things he would say to you. The, the greatest commandment was that we would love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our mind, soul, and strength. And the second greatest commandment was equally important, that we love each other the way we love ourselves. I think that Jesus would say, he'd look you in the eye and he'd say, hey, look, here's the deal. Don't get so busy doing stuff that somehow you forget about me, that you forget about your love for me. To the second church, Jesus said this. He said, I know that in this life there will be, you know, tough times, painful things, but don't forget that I'm always with you. I think that's one of the things that if you were sitting in your living room with Jesus, he'd say to you. He, he, he tells us in John chapter 16 that in this life, you know, there's just going to be trials and sorrows and bummers. Life is full of kidney punches, you know. And I think Jesus would say, look, when those bummers come, the trials come, don't forget I'm going to be right there with you. You're not going to go through them alone. To the third church, Jesus said this. He said, it's easy to get confused about what truth is, so be careful what you embrace. And I think that's an important thing. I look at our culture today and all the different things that are taught out there, even by churches. All these TV guys, a lot of them are just, it's just What? You really believe that that's what's important? You think that, really? And I think Jesus, if he was sitting in the living room with you, he'd say, be careful what you embrace as, as, as truth. To the fourth church, Jesus says, hey, don't, don't get involved or, or tolerate anything that violates Scripture. Let, let this be the, the, the guidepost to, to your life. Yeah, people aren't going to like him. People are going to call you a weirdo and a freak and a white, you know, right-wing fanatic or, you know, whatever, whatever the words are. I, I, some of the things that are said about me, I can't even say in here. There are children in here. And, I, I, you know, I'm, said, I'm, I'm called all kinds of stuff. So what? So What? Jesus would say, I, I know, I know your things are, pe people are going to say crummy things about you, but you just make sure you don't violate anything that's in this book. Don't tolerate anything like, like that. 
to the fifth church, Jesus said, wake up, you're, you're dead or dying spiritually and you need to feed your souls. I think for some of you, that would be the one message he'd share with you. Some of you are just dead spiritually or you're dying spiritually and Jesus would say to you, wake up, feed your souls. And Jesus said that, you know, man does not live on bread alone. That, that, that's what feeds our physical bodies, but man, women live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then last week we looked at what Jesus said to the sixth church, which was, you stay healthy in your relationship with me when you walk through the open doors that I've, that I've placed before you. Walk through them. Trust in my power. Don't, don't, don't deny my name. Keep my word. I, I think the things that we've looked at in these uh, two chapters are, are the very things that Jesus would say to us if we were to have a chance to ask him, hey, Lord, what's, what's most important to you? And today we're gonna to begin to look at the last thing that Jesus would, would share with you. We're gonna look at the seventh letter to the seventh church. So let's read Revelation chapter three to, to, together. Okay, look at verse 14. It says, write this to the angel of the church at Laodicea. And the angel of the church at Laodicea would be the pastor of the church or the elder of the church or the, the leader of that church. This is the message from the one who is the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. Obviously, that's Jesus. I know all the things you do, Jesus says, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable, poor, blind, and naked. So I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire. Then you will be rich. Also buy white garments for me so that you will not be ashamed by your nakedness. An ointment for your eyes so that you will be able to see. I correct and discipline everyone I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. Turn from your lukewarmness. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and you open the door, I'll come in and we'll share a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. Anyone who has ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he says to the churches. And what I want to do is I, I want to start by sharing with you two things that, that Jesus hates. These are two things that make Jesus sick, according to this letter, okay? Two things. Number one, compromise. Compromise makes God sick. Compromise makes God vomit. And that's the language that is used in this letter. Verse 15, I, Jesus says, I know all the things that you do. I know that you're neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other, Jesus says. But since you are like lukewarm water, you're neither hot nor cold, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Some of your Bibles say I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. Some of your Bibles say I'm going to vomit you out of my, my mouth. Jesus hates compromise, makes him sick. Well, if God would rather have somebody be totally against him, they're an atheist or an agnostic or whatever, they're cold toward Jesus or be on fire for Jesus, they're hot, they're passionate for God. Either one of these two, God's okay with. Think about it. There was a time when all of us in this room at one time or another were cold toward Jesus. Every one of us. You see, that's how we all begin, cold, uh, apart from Jesus. We were atheists or agnostics. And when you're cold toward Jesus, the reason why he'd rather have you be cold is because there's hope for you, right? You see, I, 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 I spent a lot of years cold. So did a lot of you. And so Jesus said, I'd rather have you be 
cold, totally apart from me, because at least there's hope for you. And obviously, you know, God wants us to be, to be hot for him. The Bible says in Matthew chapter five, let your good deeds shine out for all to see. In other words, be on fire for the Lord, be passionate for the Lord, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Beloved, when you're on fire for the Lord, when you're passionate for Jesus, when you, when you live a God-honoring life, it brings honor and praise to the Father. So, so God would rather somebody be hot, passionate about him, or cold, just be totally uh, against him as it relates to their relationship with him. It's the lukewarm person that God has a problem with because the lukewarm person is a compromiser. The lukewarm person is somebody that has no integrity. Their, their walk doesn't back up their talk. They, they say they're a follower of Jesus, but they don't live like it. They're lukewarm. God said this to the great prophet Isaiah. He said, these people say they are mine. They honor me with their lips, but they're lukewarm. Their hearts are far from me. You see, it's one thing to come in here and sing songs and throw some shekels in an offering. It's one thing to sit in here and listen to, to, to truth. It's a whole other thing to walk out of here and be passionate about the things of God. Easy to do this. Easy to sit in here and listen to truth. I talk about it all the time. Easy to, to hear a message from Jesus. Easy. That's easy. All this does is blow, you know, 90 minutes of your life. It's easy to listen to truth. What, what gets God excited is when you actually walk out of here and you live it out. You're passionate about your faith. You're on fire, if you will, for, uh, for the Lord. Now, the second thing God hates is, is this. God hates pride. It makes him sick. It makes him vomit. It makes him want to spew you out of your mouth. Verse 17, Jesus says this. He says, hey, you, you all say that you're rich. You all say that you have everything you want. You, you don't need a thing. <laughs> and you don't realize just how wretched and miserable and poor and naked and messed up you are. And that's because of pride. Now, why does God hate pride so much? Well, there's lots of reasons, but let me give you the one big one, okay? Pride prevents you from growing in your relationship with, with Jesus. Pride, pride keeps you lukewarm, if, if, if you will. Our brother James said, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. You can be a follower of Jesus and, and be in opposition to God. He opposes the proud. It is possible to know Jesus as your Savior. It's possible to, you know, have your name written in the Lamb's book of life. And yet, you're in opposition to God because of pride. Beloved, it's hard to grow in your relationship with God. It's hard to be on fire for God when he opposes you because of your pride, right? Right? Proverbs chapter 16 says, the Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this, they will not go unpunished. It's hard to, to grow in your relationship with God. It's hard to be on fire for God, if you will, if he detests you because of your pride, right? Proverbs chapter 21 says this, haughty eyes and a proud heart, the, the lamp of the wicked are sin, once again, it's, it's hard to grow in your relationship with God. It's, it's hard to be on fire, if you will, passionate about God when your life is full of sin because of your pride, right? Proverbs 26 says, do you see a man wise in his own eyes? In other words, he's prideful. There's more hope for a fool than for him. Beloved, the, the, the person that's full of pride, they're wise in their own eyes, they don't think they have any problems, or at least they won't admit that they have any problems, which means there's little hope for them. Because if you don't think you have any problems, you won't ask for help, which means you won't get any help. Pride keeps you from from, from growing into the man or the woman that God desires you to be. Proverbs chapter 10 says, anyone willing to be corrected in other words, they're humble, is on the pathway to life. Anyone refusing their pride has lost his chance. 
Look, if, if you've got a marriage problem and you won't talk to anybody about it, that's pride. And your marriage is doomed. And I meet people almost every week who, because of their pride, you know, they dig in. I don't need anybody's help. I'm not going to go talk to some counselor about my marriage. I'm not going to go talk to some pastor about my marriage. I, I don't need anybody's help. I'll figure this out on my own, man. I graduated from the Manesso Junior College. <laughs> or I graduated from Stanford. It doesn't matter what you think. You're just dug in, man. You're not going to go seek any help, are you? Your marriage is doomed. If you've got financial problems and you don't talk to anybody about it, that's just pride. And your finances are doomed. I know a lot of people who, man, they just got all goofed up on their finances, but because of their pride, they're not going to ask for anybody's help. They're not, they're not going to come in and sit down with somebody and say, man, help me, man, I really messed this thing up. What does God have to say about finances? How, how should I manage my finances in a godly way? They're just not going to do it. So they just keep getting farther and farther and farther into debt, you know. If you're not cutting it as a parent and you don't talk to anybody, I want you to know that's just, that's just pride. And your family's doomed. <laughs> I remember when my first daughter was born 21 years ago. And she came out of the, you know, the Hatcherewski, you know. And the doctor hands me a set of scissors and goes, hey, Mr. Countryman, why don't you cut the umbilical cord? And I'm thinking, what? That's what I'm paying you to do. <laughs> you don't show up at my church and I hand you my notes going, hey, why don't you preach the sermon? Dude, cut the umbilical cord. You do it. Right. What if I slip and cut the wrong thing? I don't know, man. You, you do it. Unbelievable. And then after the thing is cut, they tie a little knot thing in it, and they hand it to you. And I'm thinking, okay, is the owner's manual coming out pretty quick? How does this work? Well, hey, we... What, what do I do with this thing? And here's the deal. I'm very thankful that um, our church back then, we didn't call it parent life, but there were some godly people here, uh, the cliques, who were teaching classes like growing kids God's way. And I could go and gather some wisdom from God on how to raise my children so that they'd be decent, human, God-honoring kids. Today, we're, we're so interested in making sure our kids, you know, well, my kids st get straight A's. Well, I don't know, Ted Bundy got straight A's. Who cares whether they got straight A's or not? I just wonder, are they good, decent kids? Are they God-honoring kids? Oh, my kid's a great athlete. Woo! I, I hear Hitler could kick a ball like no one's business. <laughs> so, so what? Is your kid a decent kid, a God-honoring kid? That's what I want to raise are good kids, God-honoring kids, kids that, that, that know how to live a, a life that brings honor to, you know, and glory to God. And I, I learned some of those things. And, and look, those of you, we got a lot of, we got 300 couples plus that have been married less than seven years. A lot of them don't even have babies yet. A lot of them have their first babies. <laughs> you need to go and, and get into one of these classes, our parent life classes so that you can learn what God has to say. And if, and if you don't, I, that's just pride. Listen, listen to me. Prideful people would rather look smart than be smart. I'm telling you, I, I, that kind of boils down prideful people. They just want to make sure they look good, that you think I'm smart, instead of really being smart. And according to God, that's just really stupid. Prideful people are just stupid. Hey, that's, hey, that's just really mean, Pastor. That's just what God's Word says. It's just stupid. Look, if you're struggling in your walk with God right now, maybe you're a, a little lukewarm in your relationship with Jesus right now, and you won't talk to anybody about it, that's pride. And your relationship with Jesus is just doomed. Yes, you're going to go to heaven you know, yes, you know, you know, God's got a place for you when you take your last breath here on planet Earth. But basically, you're useless for the kingdom's sake down here on planet Earth. Because lukewarm people make God sick. So these two things 
are, are two of many things that God hates, compromise and pride. They make him sick. And obviously this church, this church at Laodicea had a problem with, with both of them. In fact, this problem was so bad at this church, it says this in verse 20. Look at verse 20. Jesus says, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and you open the door, I'll come in and we'll share a, a meal together as friends. And I want you to know, that, that's a, a pathetic picture. Here's Jesus on the outside of his church trying to get in. How, how pathetic is that? Their, their compromise, their, their lack of integrity, their, their pride actually, you know, has Jesus trying to get in. And by the way, the, the church is just made up of individuals. It was individuals in that church who, who were compromisers, you know, who were prideful. And that can happen to us as individuals. You can know Jesus Christ as your Savior, and yes, the Holy Spirit indwells you. But Jesus literally is knocking on your heart trying to get in. Hey, would you let me control your life? Would you let me have control? You're, you're compromising and your pride has totally shut me down. Let me in. Let me run. Let me run your life. Here's the truth. The, the, the truth is that this can happen to, to us here in the 21st century. You see, one of the things that I've learned in my 30 years of ministry here at Big Belly Grace is that all of us at times can get a little too attached to this world. All of us. All of us at times can begin to uh, compromise here and there. All of us. All of us at times can get a little bored with church. All of us at times can, can get a little complacent, right, in our walk with the Lord Jesus. All of us at times can begin to think a little more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. A little pride creeps into our lives, right? All of us at times can become a little lukewarm in our love for God or our love for others. All of us. I don't care who you are. I don't care how long you've walked with Jesus. I don't care whether you got the title pastor in front of your name. It can happen to all of us because we all have this thing called our flesh we have to deal with. We all have this, you know, Adamic nature, sinful nature. And when those times come, I think this letter gives us some really great thoughts as to how you can keep your relationship with Jesus passionate or fresh or alive or on fire, if you will, or how you can heat it up again if it's gone lukewarm. And so this week and next week, Lord willing, I'm going to share with you a few things that I hope will bring, you know, or, or, or help keep your relationship with Jesus healthy, strong, fresh, alive, hot, if you, if you will, or help you heat it up again if it's gone lukewarm. In John chapter 15, Jesus said this. He said, I am the vine and you are the branches. Now, Jesus, because he created us, knows, you know, our intelligence level. And you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure that out, right? Jesus says, I, I want you to understand, I'm the vine and you're the branches. If a man or a woman remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. In other words, in other words stay plugged into me, Jesus says. If you stay plugged into me, you'll be hot. You stay plugged into me, and there'll be great passion in your walk with the Lord. Apart from me, unplug yourself from me, and you're going to become lukewarm. That's just, that's just what's going to happen. I think this passage is the key to having a strong, passionate relationship with Jesus. If you want God's power in your life, you've got to stay connected to him because he's the power source, right? Uh, I was thinking about an illustration this week. Um, when I'm at home, I... Um, I have a mug, I have a coffee mug. My wife has a coffee mug, and there are mugs, and nobody uses those mugs. Her mug is her mug, my mug is my mug. Nobody touches our mugs. We don't even touch each other's mugs. These mugs are our mugs for our morning coffee, okay? And I was thinking about how you can keep coffee hot. And I think there's a couple of ways that you can keep coffee hot. And I think these are strategies, if you will, that Christians often implore in their, uh, into their Christian life. And one strategy is what I'll call the, um, the thermos strategy. 
of keeping coffee hot, the thermos strategy of keeping your relationship with Jesus hot. And that is, the thermos uh, strategy is you go to events, you, you come here on a weekend, you go to our men's ministry, go to our women's ministry, uh, you go to the maze like we had this past week, you go to these things that get you hot, and then you put a lid on it. And that's, that's the key to the thermos. You got to keep the lid on it. The bummer with that strategy in the Christian life is Jesus wants you to leave here in a few minutes and go out and be on fire out there. He wants you to take the lid off and go and be salt, be light. Go out and, 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 and be Jesus out in, in the world. And so that strategy doesn't really work all that well. The other strategy of, of, of keeping your, your coffee hot um, would be the microwave strategy. And a lot of Christians have this one. You know, you stick your cup of coffee in the microwave and, and you know, 10 seconds, woo, wow, woo, that's hot, right? Well, Christians do that. They have the microwave strategy. Once again, they come here, like some of you come here today, and in 90 minutes, yeah, woo, I'm hot. You're ready to leave here and go win the world for Christ. Let's go charge the gates of hell with squirt guns. Let's do it. Right, I'm on fire. Or you go to men's ministry or women's ministry and you walk out of there going, that's it, man. Where's Billy Graham? Doesn't matter because I'm him. You know, and you got your four spiritual law tracks. They're like guns. <laughs> man, you're just, whoo, unbelievable. But like a microwave, doesn't take long before you get cold again, right? That's the problem with the microwave. It'll heat you up real quick, heat up your coffee, but then it gets cold real quick. I think there's a better strategy, and that is the hot plate strategy. My wife went out and bought a, a hot plate that if I plug it in and I put my mug on it, that coffee will stay hot the entire time. It doesn't, I don't have to have a lid on it. I don't have to stick it in the microwave. As long as it's attached to the hot plate, which is plugged into a power source, that coffee will stay hot the entire time. And I think that that's what John 15 is saying. Listen, don't, don't, don't have a thermos strategy to your Christian life where you go to stuff and put a lid on it and hopefully you stay hot and you just have to be at church all the time or Christian events all the time and you can never be salt and light out there. Don't have the uh, uh, microwave strategy where you come to an event and you get you fired up and, and then you, know, you, 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 re you, know, you pull the plug and you go out and then by Tuesday or Monday you're just cold again or you're getting lukewarm again. Stay plugged into the, to, to the power source. And what I want to do is I want to give you two thoughts as it relates to staying plugged in from, from the text. And I'll give you two thoughts next week, Lord, Lord willing. Because if you stay plugged in, I want you to know something. You'll stay hot. You won't, go, you, won't, you won't go lukewarm. Number one, you'll keep yourself plugged into Jesus and thus stay hot when you truly understand the crummy truth about yourself. Obviously, when you look at this church, Jesus says in verse 15, I know the things that you do. You're neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other, but since you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I'm rich. I have everything I want. I don't need anything. You don't realize just how goofed up, messed up you are. Jesus is basically saying to this group of people, you have forgotten the crummy truth about yourself. Because compromise and, and, and pride has, has crept into your life, they've forgotten this basic biblical truth that all of us are messed up. All of us. I want you to know something. Listen to me. That is maybe uh, one of the most important biblical truths for us all to understand. And that is that we're all messed up. We are all goofed up. Sin has impacted all of us. The Bible says in Romans chapter 3, for everyone has sinned. We've all fallen short of God's glorious standard. We've all blown it. We've all disobeyed God. That includes me. That includes you. And for some of you, bless your souls, you're going to hate me for this, but it includes the Pope and it includes the Virgin Mary. 
When Jesus Christ died on that cross, he died for all of us because we were all sinful. All of us. It's one of the basic biblical truths that everybody's messed up. Everybody who has ever lived outside of Jesus has been impacted by, by sin. The Bible says this in Romans chapter 6, the payment of sin is death. At the very moment Adam and Eve sinned, they died spiritually. Their relationship with God died. It brought with it physical death. Adam and Eve eventually died physically because of their sin, and, and, and we're no different. But the most important thing is, is that Adam and Eve died spiritually. Yes, we all die because of our sins. You know, there have been lots of popes, and they're all dead because they're all sinful. The reason why Mary's dead, buried in some tomb somewhere, is because she was a sinner. And the reason why you're going to die is because of sin. That's why people die. Sin. What Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden just messed us all up. The Bible says this in Ephesians chapter 2, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. This is one of the, the great crummy biblical truths. And that is we're all messed up. Sin brought death. Physical death, yes, but more importantly, spiritual death. And some of you are thinking to yourself, man, I'm glad I came this morning. This is, this is a real great message. Let me tell you why a lot of people don't give their life to Christ. This incredible good news that we have is because they don't understand the bad news. You see, the world teaches that we're all good. Some are just better than others. And that is not the message of the scriptures. God says, no, you're not all good. You're all evil. All of you. Some are just more evil than others. You see, if the world can convince you that you're good, well, what do you need Jesus for, right? And if you don't understand this great biblical truth that we're all sinful, sin has messed us all up, then why do you need Jesus? What's the point? But all throughout the scriptures, from Genesis chapter 3 on, it's about how messed up all of us are, how sin has messed us all up. And when you truly lock on to that and keep that in the forefront of your mind, it'll keep you plugged into to the, to the heat source. The great pro prophet Jeremiah said this, he said, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? And everybody here can say amen to that. Even those of you who don't believe in God, you've all had things that have run through your mind and your heart, evil, wicked things, right? Where does that come from? Where all those crummy things come from? They come from a sinful heart. It's impacted all of us. But it gets worse. The prophet Isaiah said this. He said, all of us are dirty with sin. All of us. All the right things we've done are like filthy pieces of cloth. In other words, even the things that we do that are right are coming before God. <laughs> don't, don't think that you can do something down here and go, wow, God's really got to like that. That's a, that's a great thing I just did. That's a good thing I just did. No. There isn't anything you can do where God goes, wow, that is, you're so special. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to let you into my kingdom. Heaven, heaven's a perfect place, and man, look at you. Look at all those good things you've done. You deserve it. No. Jeremiah, the prophet, put it this way. He said, can an Ethiopian change the color of his skin? And the answer is no. Can a leopard take away his spots? No. And neither can you start doing good, for you've always done evil. One of the, the great biblical truths is that we're all messed up, all of us. 
And when you really understand this, when you truly come to grips with this crummy truth about yourself, that your sin has messed up everything and you can't do anything to fix yourself, it'll keep you plugged into the power source. It's when you start to think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. It's when you start to think, you know what, I'm not that bad. I mean, compared to Hitler, I'm not that bad. Compared to Mussolini, I'm not that bad. Compared to Charlie Manson, I'm not that bad. You're right. Compared to those people, you're not, oh, not that bad. But that's not the standard. Jesus is the standard. And he was holy and righteous. And compared to him, guess what? All of us are evil. All of us. Don't compare yourself to the person who lives next door to you. Don't compare yourself to, to me. Don't compare yourself to anybody else. You look at yourself compared to a holy and righteous God, and guess what? E -e -e uh oh, I got problems. You're, you're right. You do have problems. Big problems. We all have big problems. Now, this leads me right to number two, because if you don't get the importance of number one, you'll, you'll never get the importance of number two. And by the way, let me just tell you, <laughs> you show me somebody that's lukewarm, and I'll show you somebody that just, just forgot how wretched and poor and blind and evil and na naked they are. They just forgot. They started believing their own press. No, num number two, you'll keep yourself plugged into Jesus and thus stay hot when you admit that you have a desperate need for him. But if you don't get number one, if you don't understand how messed up you are, there's no reason to admit, no reason to, you know, think I, I have a need for, for Jesus. Verse 17, he says, you, you, you say I'm rich, right? I, I, I've got everything I want. I don't need a thing. <laughs> but you just don't realize how messed up you are. Look, if you don't understand the crummy, shocking truth about yourself, the fact that sin has messed up your life, there's little chance that number two will mean anything to you. You see, when you really understand the crummy truth about yourself, it automatically leads you to admit your great need for Jesus. It's just, it's just automatic, isn't it? You see, for some of us, most of us in this room, most of us over in the venue, most of us online maybe, because we understand the first truth, how messed up we are, it's a no-brainer that we're here. It's a no-brainer that we come and sing and give and pray. It's a no-brainer. We understand our desperate need for him. This was, a, this was a group of people, this, this church, that was really wealthy. They had money, they had homes, they had jewelry, clothing, they had a lot of cool stuff, they were rich, wealthy, and somehow their wealth had blinded them to the biblical truth that they were messed up people and that they had a desperate need for Jesus in their lives. Now, I want to go down a little side road just for a quick moment because, and talk about wealth, because most of us here, about 98% of us here are wealthy by the world's standards. So the odds that uh, what happened in this church could happen here are pretty good. So let me just briefly just talk uh, about wealth for a moment. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus made this statement. He said, it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Whoa. Jesus said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a wealthy person to get into the kingdom of God. What's, what's Jesus saying there? Beloved, Jesus is telling us that wealth can be, not, not always, but can be a huge hindrance to having a relationship with God or keeping a relationship with God hot, passionate. Why? Why is it so hard for prosperous people to establish a relationship with God or have a passionate relationship with God? Well, there's lots of reasons, but let me quickly give you three. Number one, pride, and I talked about this, often keeps wealthy people from surrendering their lives to, to Jesus. 
You see, when, when you have wealth, it's easy to become prideful. And pride always keeps people from God. The Bible says that if you want to enter into the kingdom of God, you have to come to God with, with the humility of heart, with the simplicity of a child. You have to come to God and say, God, I understand the crummy truth about myself. I understand that there's nothing I can do to fix the problem of my sin. I need you, God. I need you in my life. I need you to fix the problem. I'm in desperate need of you, God. I surrender my life to you. Please forgive me of my sin. And pride often will keep people from having a heart like that. Number two, false security often keeps wealthy people from surrendering their lives over to Jesus. Here's the temptation if you're wealthy and everything's going well in your life, you start thinking, my money can buy me out of trouble. My, my ability can work me out of trouble. My mind can think me out of trouble. My insurance can pay my way out of trouble. Right? I'm covered. I'm secure. Why, why, do I, why do I need God in my life? And number three, and this is the big one, false conclusions often keep wealthy people from surrendering their lives to Jesus. Here's the thinking behind this one, and I know some of you are thinking this. Hey, Pastor Rick, if I'm so bad, like you say, if I'm so evil, like you say, why is my life so good? You see, God must really like me because my life is so wonderful. I have everything I've ever dreamed of. I got money, I got a family, I got a big house, a fancy car, I got good friends. God must really like me. In fact, when Jesus said, there's this incredible quote. When Jesus said it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God, it blew everybody away. Because it was assumed, especially in that culture, that the reason you were wealthy was because, was because God really liked you. Your wealth was evidence that God was on your side. So everybody believed that rich people, you know, had a front row seat in heaven. In fact, right after Jesus makes this statement, the disciples said, who then can be saved? That was a radical statement when Jesus said, man, it's hard. It's harder for a, a rich man to get into heaven than it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. All the disciples were blown away. Who, who can be saved then? I mean, I'm a poor fisherman. I don't have jack. How am I going to get into heaven if rich people can't get in? How am I going to get in? Listen. You see, the disciples had drawn the false conclusion that wealth somehow equaled God's blessing, and it doesn't. It can. I know many people in this church where God has blessed uh, some of you financially. It, it can mean that, but it doesn't always mean that. It doesn't always mean that. Oftentimes, wealth can blind you to your desperate need for Jesus in your life. One of the great songs of the Christian faith is the song Amazing Grace. It goes like this. It goes, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And there are some of you sitting out there right now who are going, wretch? Obviously the pastor doesn't know who I am. I'm not a wretch, right? I mean, you, you, you own a business. You're a good people, you know, you've you got an Eagle Scout award. You give lots of money away to the gospel mission. How dare you call me a wretch? Some people don't like that song because of that line right there. I once was lost, but now I'm found lost. What are you talking about, Pastor? I know where I'm at. 4040 Teller Road, I got a GPS system in my car. Right, right? Not lost physically. I know you know where you're at physically. You're just lost spiritually. You're lost. And you don't know it. I was blind, but now I see. Blind, what are we talking about? I can see. He's not talking about physical sight. He's talking about spiritual sight. And you know what? This church at Laodicea would never have sung a song like that. Saved a wretch like me? We're not. What are you talking about? I got it all. I got money, homes, cars. I'm not a wretch. I'm not lost. I'm not blind. They, they'd forgotten this incredible truth. 
They got unplugged from the power source. And so now they're lukewarm. And God hates it when we're lukewarm. There was a famous Bible commentator who once said this. He says, you can have a saved soul and a lost life. And I think that's true. I, I think that as believers, we, we can be saved, as I said. We can have our names written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You know, we're going to heaven. Woo-hoo-hoo. But our souls are lost. We've forgotten about how goofed up and crummy we are. We've forgotten about our, our desperate need for Jesus. We've, we've allowed our, our faith, if you will, to, to go lukewarm. And though you're you know, still going to go to heaven, you're just useless for the kingdom's sake because Jesus He's on the outside of your life. Hey, let me in. I forgave you of your sin. I came into your life and your pride and all that has gotten in the way. Can I get into your life? And I think maybe today is a, a, a day when, when, when maybe some of you would say, you know what, I, I got to repent of my sin. I got to rededicate my life to the Lord. And this is what I want you to do. Over in the venue in here, I just want you to close your eyes. Everybody close your eyes. Just close your eyes for a moment. And, and last night, uh, man, it's unbelievable how many people prayed. It's unbelievable. This morning, just God's doing some stuff, I know. And if you're here and you know Jesus as your Savior, you gave your life to the Lord maybe 10 years ago, 20 years ago. I, I don't know how long ago it was. And you are going, you know what? I, I'm lukewarm in my faith right now. I'm not passionate about God. I'm not passionate about Jesus. I'm just going through the motions. My lifestyle is making God sick. He's on the outside trying to get into my life. And you recognize it right now. And you want to make things right. You want to repent of your sin and say, God, man, let's, let's, I want to get right with you. This is what I want you to do. Right where you're at, in the quietness of this moment, just pray a prayer like this. Just say, Jesus, I'm lukewarm. And I recognize it right now. I know you're on the outside of my life trying to get in. And so Jesus, come in. Cleanse me of my sin. I repent of, of my compromise. I, I repent of my pride. I, I want to be, be hot, passionate for you again, Lord. Forgive me of, of my sin. And if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus and you prayed that prayer of repentance, you, you know you've been goofing around with your walk with God. You know you've been lukewarm. Do, do me a favor just so I, I can rejoice with you. Raise your hand. Just let me, let, let me see it. Yeah, just a bunch of you. Okay, put, put your hands down for a second. And while your eyes are closed, I know that there are some of you here and you've never allowed Jesus into your life. You're, you're cold. You're, you're not lukewarm. You're cold. You've never invited Jesus Christ into your life. And today, you hear that knocking on your heart. You know you need to invite him into your life. You know you need him. You hear the knocking. Right now, if that's you, this is what I want you to do. I just want you to pray this prayer. Just say, Jesus, I'm cold. I've never given my life to you. And I recognize right now that my sin has messed up everything. And so come into my life. I'm opening the door of my life. I'm inviting you in for the first time. Cleanse me of my sin. I want to begin a relationship with you today for the first time. Now, while your eyes are closed, and obviously I can't see you over in the venue, but, but if you prayed that, you invited Jesus in. You felt him knocking on, on the door of your heart. You invited him in. Would you, would you raise your hand that, that, I, that I could see it? Anybody here? Yeah, right here. Yeah, dude, up there. Anybody else? Just make sure I see your hand. Yeah, right over here. Cool. All right, everybody look up here. Over in the venue. Look up. Look up. I want everybody to pull these cards out, okay? Everybody pull them out, even those of you that have been here for, you know, 20, 30 years, you're on fire for the Lord, whatever. Everybody pull the card out. Everybody's got the card. And I want everybody to start filling this card out, okay? And if you've been here, if this is your first time here, I want you to mark on here, hey, this is my first time here. And the reason why I want you to do that is um, you're new, and 
the polite thing to do, the kind thing to do is to let me know, and I'll just send you a little note via email or snail mail, whatever it is you got, and just to say thanks for coming. No one's going to show up at your door. You're not going to look through the people, and there I am. Hey! You know, I, I just want to say thanks for coming. And if you've been here for the second time, is your second time here, let me know that. Every week we have 50, I don't know, 60, 70 new people that are here, 50, 60, 70 new people that return for the second time. Just, just let us know. And then fill this out, and, and if there's something that we could pray for you about, put it on the card. Maybe something really cool happened to you this past week, and you just want us to rejoice with you. Put it on the card. We, we look at these cards every Tuesday, go through every one of them, pray for every one of them. But I want you to turn the card over now, and if you um, prayed a, a prayer of rededication, you, you, you sense that you were lukewarm in your walk. And today was the day you wanted to repent of the sin that has gotten in there and kind of cooled it down. I want you to put a square, just put a square on the back of the car, okay? Uh, last night, there were, I don't know, almost 30 people that put squares on the back of the car. I'm sure there were a bunch last hour. I haven't seen it. If, if you were one of those that you, you, you actually invited Jesus Christ into your life today for the first time, just put a star in the corner of that card. And all those cards are going to come to me. In fact, I'm going to be at a retreat this next week, and I'm going to take all those cards with me. And I'm going to rejoice and be praying for you. And, and I also want to invite all of you that maybe you put a square up in that corner or you put a star. I want to invite you to come to the follow class. That would be a great place for you to come and be involved in. Starts in just a couple of weeks and all that kind of stuff. This is the place where you need to go, especially if you gave your life to Christ. We're going to help you get on, get on a right path. Okay, so I'm going to ask our hosts and hostesses to come forward, and, um, and then you're going to pass those things in. In fact, everybody stand up over in the venue. Everybody stand up. Pass those things to the center, and as we pass them, I want us to sing that great chorus together. Okay, Amazing Grace. Okay, here we go. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Father, thank you for this time this morning. I'm grateful that you opened the eyes of a lot of people. Pour out your favor on them. Give us a great afternoon, Lord. Lord willing, I look forward to being back here next week. And I pray this in your name. Amen.